You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Last week, uh, we started this series, God With Us, and we talked about God being with us in the valleys, that we may enjoy, we can enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valley. Uh, today, we're talking about God being with us in the wilderness. You ever been out to the desert? You ever been in the wilderness? Um, I know families, I've known, I knew a couple who their idea of an incredible honeymoon was to go out into the desert in 110 degree weather, 120 degree weather. For some reason, they thought that was a great thing for their marriage. I don't know what's up with that, but that was not my choice, right? So, uh, but the desert, the wilderness, a very dry, barren place where we mostly feel alone. Usually it's a longer time that we're in the wilderness than in the valley. So you're stuck at a job that you don't like. But you want to go back to school. But, you know, if you go back to school, you're going to go into more debt. So now you're stuck at this job and you're just like there and you're wandering and you're just disoriented. And why am I here? Or then you're in this relationship and you're waiting, kind of waiting for him to propose, but he just won't propose. And or, or you're wondering why you're even dating her. And you're just kind of wandering in the wilderness of this I don't know what's going to happen in this relationship. There's a lostness. There's a disorientation. You know, one an observation that I've made recently is that I real in, in talking about the wilderness is a, we go through wilderness times a lot of times when we go through transitions in life. During a transition of life, we can wander a bit in the wilderness and asking ourselves questions. You know, what should I do? Who am I? What do I believe? You know, kind of. We kind of evaluate these things. We're wandering. When I graduated college, I was like, what should I do? What, who am I? What do I actually really believe? You know, when I got married, what should I do? Who am I? What, what, do, I, what do I believe? When I became a parent, what should I do? I'm disoriented and kind of in the wilderness of parenting. And, and I've noticed this happen Currently, you know, uh, Marina and I were able to serve this past uh, year in uh, in our singles ministry. I love our singles ministry and uh, very awesome men and women of God choosing uh, to really live a holy life in this incredibly over sexualized world that we live in. And so I'm just so proud of men and women who make decisions, take a stand for holiness, for purity. Uh, and for righteousness in God's eyes. And uh, what I've realized, though, in talking to some of the, the a lot of these, a lot of our young, younger singles, um, is graduating. I've noticed, man, there's a there's a tendency when you graduate from college and you go into the workforce, you're sort of disoriented. And a lot of our brothers and sisters came out of campus ministry, sort of, who am I? What do I actually believe? You know, just kind of evaluating uh, convictions and heart. And there's there's a sense of um, just a wandering. That's kind of the word. You're wandering. We go through this t- these times spiritually. You've been a Christian for a long time. There are times in your life where you're just kind of a little disoriented. A little bit off the direction, off the path, but not really knowing why. You're just kind of lost a little bit. Um. It's interesting, wilderness times can actually 
usually follow mountaintop times. Uh, so, like I said, you know, mountaintop time. I got married, but I'm in the wilderness. What do I do? You know, how do we navigate this? Oh, my baby is born. Yay. Whoa, I got to take him home now. There's no nurses here. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of, you got to go home and figure this out. Uh, Jesus gets baptized. We see this happen in Luke 3. Jesus gets baptized and the heavens open up and a dove flies onto him. And the voice of God speaks out and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And there's this incredible moment, mountaintop experience that Jesus has. And what happens in Luke chapter 4? He's taken into the desert for 40 days, fasting and being tempted by Satan. That's a whole story. You can read it for yourself. It's Luke chapter 4. The wilderness happens right after the mountaintop times. Some of you are going through this or have experienced this even this season of life. You had a first great year of marriage, and then there's, or first great couple of years of marriage, and it's awesome, but then there's a revelation of possible marital unfaithfulness and now you're lost questioning wandering and you're reeling in pain or you get in a promotion you get a raise and then you're like yay this is awesome this is what I was waiting for and looking for and then your car breaks down and something in the house gets majorly damaged and your child needs braces and the list goes on and on and on it's like oh man forget this I didn't you know, and you're wandering, disoriented. Does that make sense? Many times we are wandering in the wilderness and no one really understands. We get the sense that no one really understands what I'm going through. No one really, really gets what I'm, I'm trying to tell you what I'm going through, but you don't really get it. And there's a sense of lostness, of emptiness, of spiritual barrenness, spiritual dryness. You guys follow me here? The big idea that I want to present to us today as we go through a study uh, in God's Word is this big idea here. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. That the, the idea that those moments, those seasons in life when you are seeing, when you're in the wilderness and you see your, you're like my deepest need. You don't really know what your deepest need is, but you're trying to wrestle. Trying to, that that moment, those moments become a gift when they drive you to depend on God. We're going to look at a story in the Old Testament with one of uh, Israel's greatest prophets, a time in Israel's history where probably their most evil king. His name was Ahab, and his wife was even more eviler. Is that a word, eviler? Uh, his wife was even more evil, the queen, queen Jezebel. You know? And so Ahab and Jezebel are leading Israel, God's people, to idolatry and to ignoring God's will and commands and, and persecuting God's prophets. And primarily this prophet Elijah, they couldn't stand Elijah. Elijah had prophesied there's going to be a drought, there's going to be famine, until you turn to God. And sure enough, they ignored him and they ignored his prophecies, and this is what happened. Three years of drought, three years of famine. And then God sends Elijah to Ahab. 
And Elijah goes to Ahab with a message and says, basically, bring bring your best prophets of Baal, of the God that you're worshiping, and let's have a little powwow, a little meeting. And I have a challenge for you guys. And we pick up the story here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22. It says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So you see what's happening here. Elijah comes to the king, says, bring your guys, bring your 450 prophets of Baal. Let's have a little, uh, you know, we're going to have a little, little, not a game, but sort of a, I'm going to test your faith. You guys pray to your God, see if he'll come down and fire and suck up that, that sacrifice. I'll pray to the Lord and see, and we'll see what happens. This is Elijah's, it's almost like Elijah's last effort to get the attention of Israel. And turn them back to God. And I'm sure there's, there's a component in Elijah where God directly told me this, so this is going to work. But you know he had to feel a little bit of hesitancy here and there. But he does it. He challenges them. He brings them all together. And they accept the challenge. They prepare everything. And then the 450 prophets of Baal, they're like, you know, dancing and singing and calling on the name of the God, Baal. And at noon, it says here in verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to, began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So what did they do? They shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, you got to love Elijah's faith. He's, he's basically punking the other, the other prophets. He's basically trash-talking them. You ever played basketball or football, and you're like trash? You, you, you just feel so good about yourself. You're like, dude, watch this. You know, just you you know this. Some of you guys understand what I'm talking about. This is Elijah. He's so confident in God. He starts punking these other guys. Shout louder. Oh, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's traveling. And then Elijah, he says, all right, you guys calm down. You guys are bleeding. Go clean yourselves up. Come over here. He prepares his bull. He throws, makes a trench. He throws water and fills this trench. It's like floating bull or whatever. And then he calls on the name of the Lord. And the Lord sends fire and just eats the whole sacrifice and dries up all the water. And it's an incredible miracle, an incredible mountaintop experience. And then he says, hey, get, uh, get all those 450 bell guys over here. And he, they basically slaughter all those guys. And you would think, and Elijah, in Elijah's mind, he's thinking, I've got them. They cannot deny God any longer. Look at what God himself has done. 
But we pick up the story here in chapter 19. In verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now think about Elijah. Elijah had just performed this incredible miracle. This is his last-ditch effort to get Ahab and Jezebel to repent. And he knows that they were there. He knows that Ahab saw everything that happened. And, and he knows this. And yet, nothing changed. Can you believe that? that this is discouraging. Not only did nothing change, now his life is being threatened. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then... He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Look at Elijah's response to the threat. After he had just performed this incredible miracle, he's afraid. He runs for his life. He goes alone into the wilderness and he says, I've had enough. I've had enough. You ever felt that way? Kind of at the end of your rope? Sometimes it's, it's an... You know, it's too extreme. Some of us have felt that way just with our kids acting crazy. I've had enough. Go to your room. You know, whatever it is. Some of us have had, in a a group this big, I'm sure some of us have experienced or have been related to somebody who has experienced an actual threat or, you know, to, to, to cause harm to oneself, to take one's life. I'm sure many of us have had... Uh, friends or family members who have had those thoughts or conversations. Some of us, even in this room, have felt this way. I'm at the end. I Just take my life. I'm done. I've had enough, Lord. And in the wilderness, we can feel this way. In the wilderness, we can feel so disoriented, so afraid, so confused, so lost, dry, spiritually. And we say, God, I've just had enough. I feel like you're doing everything against what I prayed for. I tried it your way. I tried this. I did what you said. But then you did this and you allowed this to happen. You took this away and I'm done. You know what I love about God? Is that God doesn't come in. We're going to read this in a minute. But God doesn't come in and start preaching at Elijah. God doesn't come in and start scolding Elijah. Many of us in the wilderness, we get in the wilderness, and and a lot of times the response that we have to people that ask us how we're doing, when we're in the wilderness, we say, I'm tired. I'm just tired. You ever felt that way? Just emotionally spent, mentally spent, just tired. Usually what tired means is there's a spiritual dryness there's not a replenishing. There's, there's an there's a 
a spiritual emptiness that God is trying to restore. And look what happens to Elijah, what God does. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't give him a vision. He doesn't even counsel him. Look at what God does for Elijah in the wilderness. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. I, as I'm reading this, I'm getting chills. Gee, God says, Elijah, come on, let's go to In-N-Out, get a double-double, animal style, get some fries, get you a shake. Let's just go eat. Let's go get some tacos, the carnitas and carne asada and some horchata on the side. Let's, let's just... Let's go get a nice, good, you know, for me, Puerto Rican pernil and arroz con gandules and some pasteles and some alcapurrias and, you know, let's go get some of that, you know. Um, let's go get some, let's just go get some food. Let's go eat together. Remember the sermon I did a few months ago talked about how uh, um, one meal uh, can change the world sort of thing? Like how eating together can change the world. <laughs> This is God in action. When this guy's lost, when he's afraid, and he's running away, and he has had enough, God doesn't come in and say, you need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. If you just read your Bible more, things would go better. If you just prayed a little bit more, things would go better. If you just showed up to small group, I'm telling you, this wouldn't happen. You'd show up to small group. Show up to midweek or show up to Sunday. Do you see what I'm saying? God didn't do that. God said, you know what? Let me meet you where you're at. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're mentally and emotionally drained. Here's some baked bread, some pan dulce, and hot, over hot coals and some abuelitas hot chocolate. You know, you can sense a theme here. This is the food that I enjoy, right? So, um, Although, I'll tell you, I had some of the most amazing sushi last weekend at uh, Daniel and Stephanie Kim's house. They had a sprit. I'm not going to get into that. Um, and Korean barbecue. And, dude, if I keep on talking right now, I'm just, my mouth is watering. But this is what God does in the wilderness. He says, get up and eat. You know what? Here, in fact, he says... The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. And this is an interesting thing, too. He, he touches him. Sometimes you just need a hug. Sometimes you need a pat on the back. Sometimes you just need a, somebody to pray with you and actually hold your hand in the prayer. God created us for physical affection and physical touch. And sometimes we need that. The angel of the Lord came back and touched him and said, get up and eat again. So you're not done. Like, get up and eat again. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. You know, a lot of times in our wilderness, we just need, a, we need somebody to come along. If, somebody, if you have a friend or a family member who's going through a wilderness time, you just kind of sense it. They may just need you to take them to eat something. They may need you to encourage them to take a nap. You know, last year, kind of in the fall time, uh, there was a lot, for me personally, there was a lot happening in our ministry, and I was constantly on my phone 
sort of coordinating, responding, texting, calling. Um, and there was a constant flow. It was literally like a week of just non-stopness in my life. And now, if you know me, if you're close to me, you know that you may know that I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of a machine. Like I'll just go 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 go. Like I don't really care. I actually love it. I enjoy it. I I thrive on you know more things, more stuff, more people to meet with and meetings to have. I'm fine with that. But I got to a point where I did this. I, I had a week long, and it was like, and and it wasn't the meetings. It was just the emotional component of working through a lot of different challenging situations all at once. I got to the end of the week and my wife, I think behind my back, just took my phone away and hit it and just said, no more. And but because she knew she saw me and she told me, she said, I've never seen you like this. And I, I literally I got to a point where I hit a wall. And usually I'm able to break down that wall, keep on going. But I got to a wall and I was like, I, I don't I'm looking at like multiple text messages. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I have nothing. For a preacher to have nothing to say, that's a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I had nothing. I had nothing to give. I had, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know what, how to, I don't know. And if you would have asked me what was going on in that moment, I was just physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. And so Marina took my phone away and she said, just go, go somewhere. <laughs> I took Jonathan my son to the park with no phone. Because usually when, sometimes when I take him to the park, I'm on my phone. I took him to the park with no phone and just enjoyed time with Jonathan. Outside, outdoors, you know, just get a guy outside. Um, I came home and took a nap. I had an awesome dinner that night. Like, in other words, there are certain things that, that God provided through my marriage to Marina that was just... It was a need. It was a, it was a moment of, I didn't, it wasn't like, go read your Bible more, go pray more. It's just, you just need to chill a little bit. Get your mind space right. And then keep on going. And I did, I needed about two or three days of that, of just kind of chill. Take it easy, man. You know what I mean? This is God. This is what God does with us in the wilderness. Get up and eat. Take a nap. Elijah, strengthened by the food, traveled 40 days and 40 nights. He must have had some good food. Traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Horeb, many scholars and commentators say that Horeb is the same mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses was when Moses asked for God to pass by. I want to see, God, if I could just see your glory. Centuries earlier, Moses said, I just want to see your glory. And God had said, come out to the cleft in the rock. Come out a little bit, and I'm going to pass by. But you can't see my face, because if you see my face, you're going to die. You'll see my back. And Moses got to see the glory of God. So many scholars say this Horeb is the same, the mountain of God, the same area where Moses was able to see the glory of God. And God tells Elijah, at this moment, the word of the Lord came to him, says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, do you think God didn't know what Elijah was doing there? Of course God knew it, but he wants to have a conversation with Elijah. Okay, I've filled your belly. You've taken a couple naps. You're good to go. Now, let's have a conversation. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. In another translation, it says a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? In the wilderness, Satan will shout his lies to get your attention. But God whispers to draw you near. God's not trying to get your attention because God is with you right there. He's close. Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm in your corner. Why are you even here? I got a lot of work for you to do. Go back. And you continue reading the story. He says, there's 7,000 people that have not bowed down to Baal. And they need your prophecies. They need your leadership. Go down. I'm not done with you. Why in the middle of the desert or the challenge or the difficulty, why does God not shout out and come with a big sign and a fire and an earthquake or a powerful wind? Why does he not do that? Why a whisper? It's because he's close. In the wilderness. He's close. Because he's right there. He's not far from you. He's right there. God whispers to draw you close, not to get your attention, because he's near. And so Satan may be yelling, Yeah, stay in the wilderness. God doesn't love you. God, God messed you up because he didn't give you what you actually prayed for and what you wanted. And God says, I never left you. I never left you. I love you. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. I'm walking with you. I'm protecting you. I'm guiding you. I'm directing you. You're not listening. Come back. Come back home. I will never forsake you. I've been with you all the time because I'm with you in the valley. I'm with you in the wilderness. I'm with you in the storms. I'm with you. God whispers because he's right there. I love this idea and this thought. The whisper requires, it leads to an intimate relationship. 
I've spoken to so many people who have gone through their own wandering, that they come through a mountaintop experience of becoming Christians and being baptized. And then they, they make decisions in their life where the world is more appealing or somebody hurt them in the church and so they're upset. And so they, they wander off and they sort of, you know, do life. And then they, something happens in their life where they get, God sort of does something or allows something and they start coming back. And almost every person that has ever come back to a relationship with God or to the fellowship of the community of believers has told me, I felt like God was always telling me things and I knew I would just try to ignore him. Some of you have recently, in the past few years, either made decisions to return or have come back or whatever, and you know in moments when you were like, it's dark and you're about to fall asleep and you remembered something. Or you, you asked God, like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. But their pride is so large. The pride and the arrogance is so big that you just want to do things your own way, that you're not willing to surrender to his will. Does that make sense? And a lot of us have gone through that. And what's amazing to me is that every person that has come back has said, man, I just felt like God never thought God never left. And it's true. Because he never did. That whole time that you were wandering in the wilderness, he's right there. He's close. Now we may cover our ears, we may ignore him, we may stiff arm him, or whatever, but he's right there. And so he'll randomly send you another Christian. I haven't seen you in so long. I've missed you. Hugs. You want to come over for dinner? You see what I'm saying? This is, this is what God does. Psalm 139, David writes Psalm 139. It's an incredible psalm. And uh, in it, he says this. He says, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. This is God. We run away afraid. We're wandering in the wilderness. And he's gently whispering a still, small voice. Why? Why is he not shouting and sending you big signs? Because he's right there. If you go up to the heavens, he's there. If you you go in the darkness, he's there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, he's there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, I can't get away from God. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You can run and run and wander and wander and be disoriented and stay in that state for as long as you want. But God is still there. Trying to have different people come share their story for us every Sunday when we do these 
God with us sermon. So last week we had Elena Munoz share about being in the valley. Today I've invited one of our campus brothers uh, in the campus ministry here. His name is John Brown. So I'm going to have John Brown to come up and he's going to share a little bit of his story of God being with him in the wilderness. Hold on, I need a microphone. Oh, you got one. Is it on? Can you guys hear me? Perfect. Well, my name is John Brown. I'm part of the Alpha Omega Campus Ministry here at Long Beach. I absolutely love it. I feel blessed to be here. But like Ruben said, I'm going to share a little bit about my story with you guys. Just a little excerpt. Um, so I moved to Ohio when I was 13 years old, where I lived with my aunt and uncle at the time. And at the time, they were studying the Bible in the Cleveland church, our sister church. I was never against going to church, so I always chose to tag along. Most of the time, I would sit in the back playing Call of Duty on my iPod Touch. I was too cool to admit that I secretly loved the worship. Um, the teens would always bug me and ask me to sit with them until I reluctantly said yes. Eventually, it became the norm to go to church and teen events and even church camp. I ended up getting into Bible studies. I studied the Bible for a year with the Cleveland Church, but eventually I had to move back to Indiana due to some family issues. Back in Indiana, I contacted some of the guys I had met at the Ohio camp that I knew were from Indiana. They got me plugged in with the Indiana teens, and I ended up studying the Bible again in Indiana and was baptized on August 19th of 2012. Man, the story doesn't end there, though. Um, although all through high school... Even as a disciple, I lived two lives. I was always in search of who I was, what people thought of me. I had to be the coolest, funniest, and freshest kid in school. I remember one year I lived in a trailer park with my mom and her boyfriend at the time, and I would walk to another bus stop that was in a nicer neighborhood because I didn't want kids to make fun of me. Everything was about my image, and this double life carried over into college. I moved into a household in college. I lived with four other disciples in an apartment. The first few weeks of college, I tried to be a real Christian and be involved. But I had no roots to grow on, so I eventually slipped back into my own world. College life quickly became where the next party was, the best way to get hired drunk, and which girl I could go home with. I tried to hide it for a while, but eventually started going to church hungover, or just not going at all. Midway through my freshman year, I decided I couldn't do both, and unfortunately, I chose the world. I moved out of the household and into an apartment with one of my fraternity buddies. Also here to tell you that being in a fraternity and being a disciple is nearly impossible. I continued to live that life for the next eight months, each night crying in my bed because I felt empty. God was trying to speak to me. I just didn't want to know it at the time. I had enough, and I knew I needed to get out. At that time, I chose to drop out of school and move to Ohio to be closer to my aunt and uncle, but also just to get away from anything that was available to me anytime I wanted it. I was wandering in the wilderness. But looking back, I know God was trying to speak to me, and yet again, I was in search, but I didn't know it. I got an apartment living on my own for the first time and worked a full-time office job, I often thought that that was it for me and that I would be an office dad and that was my life. Um, God had other plans for me, though. For as long as I can remember, I always dreamt of living near the beach and being in California. I felt like God was literally calling me. One day while at work, a California number called into my office and I was super excited to pick up the phone. I remember in between what I was actually supposed to be help, excuse me, helping her with, I would ask her different questions about how she liked living here and what it was like. She was super friendly and responded to all my questions. After I hung up the phone, my mind was made. I was moving to California in two weeks. I would have moved sooner, but I had to leave my notice. <laughs> two weeks later, I was driving across the country. My entire life was about me, who I was, and the image I portrayed. That was until I drove through Colorado. This was the first time I had ever experienced real mountains, and I realized in that moment how truly small I was and how I was nothing without whoever created these things. I knew what needed to be done. I was invited to a worship concert about a month after living here where I happened to meet Victor. Vic and I hit it off, and he wanted me to come to Long Beach because I was closer there anyways. Um, lost my spot. <laughs> he, 
He gave me his number and his Instagram, and then we parted ways. I texted him a few times, but he never responded. Turns out I had the wrong number. Not his fault. (laughs) And he didn't use his Instagram, so I couldn't get a hold of him on there either. But I knew I could find the church online. That wasn't an issue. So I found it online, and I came on a Sunday morning. I sat in the back. I didn't speak a word to anyone, and I left after service. I did that twice. I was scared because I knew who I was, and I knew and still know that I have a ton of issues. I stopped coming for a few weeks, but God was still whispering to me. He told me to try again. I found the Alpha Omega Instagram page and saw they had posted a Friday night Devo, Capture the Fruit. So I popped in, and from then on it was history. I reached out to study the Bible. The idea of restoration studies was tossed around, but I truly believed I had no roots to be restored to. I wanted to be rooted in Christ. I studied the Bible with Greg and Jordan and was baptized into Christ again on October 6th of 2017. Man. Like anyone... Anyone's story, it hasn't been smooth sailing since, but I can say that my life has been rooted in Christ, and I'm grateful for every single day and everything that I've gone through. Thank you, guys. Man. Awesome. Victor, call your friend next time, right? Uh, I just appreciate John. We were spending time this past week talking about this, and it just struck me, wow, th- I mean, I love what he shared. You know, I was driving through the mountains, and I just who created these is bigger than me and coming here, inviting himself to the Alpha Omega events and again, wandering, yet God was right there the whole time and allowing different relationships, different, different circumstances, different coincidences to happen to bring him back to his faith. Some of you today, we're going to take communion here in a moment, and some of you today are in the wilderness, in a wilderness time in life right now, disoriented, alone, wandering, spiritually dry. Some of you have been a Christian for a long time, and it's just, you're just kind of in the routine of church, in the routine of what you know is right to do, but it's just a routine. And, and there's a spiritual dryness. And I think God, if you're in the wilderness today, I just want to encourage you. He is so close. You feel, you feel spiritually dry. He's whispering. Let's go to dinner. Let's grab a bite to eat together. I'm sending you this brother. I'm sending you this sister. I'm sending you this individual. Just say yes. They're not going to tell you to read your Bible more and pray more. They're going to take you to in and out and get a double-double. Like, just say, just accept what I'm sending to you. Some of you are in the wilderness right now, and, and as much as you're trying to fight God, you will not get away from Him. If I settle on the far side of the sea, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're right there. There's no hiding from God. You will sense God or hear Him in the most loneliest moment of your life, in the dark before you go to sleep at night. All, all because of the prophecy the angel gave to us. That the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, let's say it together, God with us. We're going to pray for communion right now. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, you know, Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. A gathering of believers that would gather together and remember Emmanuel. Remember God with us. God became human, became flesh to walk amongst mankind and yet gave up his life that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might have access to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So as we take communion, I want you to think about that. Man, when I, in my deepest need, right, my deepest need becomes a gift when it drives me to depend on God. And you may be going through a wilderness time. God is right there. He whispers because he's close. He's right there. And it's a gift if it drives you to depend on God. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this time to be able to take communion and to learn from Elijah the prophet uh, how you are with us when we're in the wilderness. Thank you that uh, in the times when we're disoriented, when we're wandering, when we're kind of not knowing where to go, what to do, um, even if we may be fighting you, thank you that you're still there, that you whisper because you're right there. You're near. You want to draw near to us. We love you and we thank you for Jesus uh, because it's only through him that we may have a relationship uh, with you. And we praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for your resurrection. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.